This is a Media Lab podcast. Dave, I'm, I don't know how to even talk about this. I'm so embarrassed. I, d- I didn't know that you felt shame. I do, all the time. You know, we've been traveling on this spaceship now for basically 10 months. And in that time, let's just say that I have been feeling repressed because you're always in the same room as me. Oh, come on. And so, what? What? Go on. Go on. I'm paying attention. Yeah. I'm not able to... Have you ever read an Agatha Christie novel, Dave? Yes. Do do you know what I'm going to lean up here with about how what one of her favorite words to say that someone's like getting really excited and shouting at someone? No. All the time, she's like, he ejaculated. Oh, like, wow. that's her term that she just uses. Went for it. Okay. Read an Agatha Christie no, novel. It's I'm, in there literally I'm worried all the about time. You and your impending talk about your prostate. But yeah, let's mm-hmm. talk about it. Mm-hmm. What's wrong, Kyle? Tell me how you I, really I feel. <laughs> I was just, I was wondering if you could check my prostate. <laughs> on a rinky dig spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone. Especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm possessed. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. And then another apocalypse happened. Somehow it's used its power to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although... We do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And boy, howdy, is there a lot of ideas (laughs) today that we're probably going to be talking about. Boy, howdy, great. Boy, howdy. (laughs) And today, because today we are going to be talking about the movie, the film, The Devils. It's not a movie. It's a film. He plies me with caresses, lustful, obscene. He enters my bed at night. And takes from me that which is consecrated to my divine right, God, Jesus Christ. And what form does this incubus take? <laughs> Who is responsible for this evil possession? But of course I can prove nothing. This Mother Superior may be little more than a hysterical nun. But if it is a genuine case of possession by devils, and if Grandier himself was proved to be involved, then yes, I think it bears investigation, gentlemen. You've been a magician. I'd come, I'd good devils. Face. Eternal damnation. Conjecture is useless. We need a professional witch hunter. We must send for Father Barre. Of course, a big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl, YYC, and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. I'm going to just throw open the doors, Dave. This is such a minefield we're about to walk into, but uh, tell me your history with religion. Mm, that's a good one. That's a good place to start. Start, mm-hmm. you know, small and slow. And then get up to the big stuff. That's right. That's right. Why not just start <laughs> at 11? I don't know. Religion is uh, pervasive in our culture. With the exception of my wife. We can talk about that briefly, which I think oh, is interesting. Okay. You know, I was born in Toronto. My parents are uh, Korean from that generation, which is largely Roman Catholic. Oh. So initially. This, is de- this movie might be doubly oh, blasphemous. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Uh, 
large parts of the Korean community through the 80s uh, were more like on the other side of Christianity. So, so many churches, so many churches. Mm. Just because I was in Catholic school, I have participated in, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Sacraments? Exorcisms? No. uh, no. Sorry. Yeah. Anyways, so I was baptized. Yeah. I had my first first communion, communion, confession. Uh, and uh what did you confess at a young age well i was troubled kyle uh oh, i do okay. a lot of stuff and then i think our confirmation confirmation and then i uh finally wriggled myself free of that world by the time i was in high school mm. um and i much think much to your parents chagrin uh, or what, um, what was going on i think there? at that point things were so so uneasy that that was the least okay. of their problems. I think they were just right, right. thinking that by allowing me to go to school in Toronto uh, of their choosing that I would calm down and, and be nice. Uh, we were all wrong about that. Um, and then, you know, uh, an overarching idea of religion that's more complex, but I will say that I used to be very upset about it, particularly how humans utilize concepts of faith and any belief structure this extends into philosophy and politics to take advantage of each other. Because mm-hmm. at the end, there is always a single figurehead. We talk about fascism, where someone uh, does all the interpretation uh, of an idea. So, mm-hmm. I just, I just want to be very clear here. Dave Young just did say that the Pope is fascist. Well, they have been. <laughs> there have been many. Yeah. yeah. Um, you don't say. <laughs> and then... Um, read uh, some books about, you know, why does religion exist and the requirement of it to be uh, a fundamental tying in together of society. Without religion and a faith or philosophy system, society cannot exist because once you're out, we talked a little bit about this communist social experiment, but once a, a town or a community is sufficiently complex, people stop giving a shit about each other and there's no code mm-hmm. uh, and it descends into, you know, Kind of like if you had a small town with walls around it, and then there was a nunnery. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, I don't know if we're going to have time on this podcast to disseminate whether or not religion should exist. Well, it's, <laughs> it's required, but mm. uh, how it then evolved is, is quite frightening. It just sounds like you need Jesus, Dave. And then just quickly about my wife, which I think is really interesting. Helen has a, a complex history of how she was raised and grew up and moved from Taiwan to Canada. But the crux for this conversation is that her parents were just separate from religious doctrine in general. So like when I met her, she didn't even know anything about Jesus Christ or um, any of the mythology that we take for granted. Uh, oh, she that's went, so fascinating. Yeah. she there's went, so much that even if you don't go to church, you kind of just pick up on right? by osmosis. Yeah. And I think there's the other thing, maybe this is why she's not a movie person. So much of our Western film and storytelling sure. is, ba- is couched in the mythology of, of Christianity. The Matrix is basically a Jesus story. And you I think know, that's yeah. maybe one of the reasons that she doesn't really respond uh, the way that you and I get incensed about things that she couldn't give a she couldn't give a shit. She says she went to a Buddhist camp once, made mm-hmm. some friends, and then decided it wasn't for her. So this is why she's put up with me for so long, Kyle. She's very patient. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so fascinating to me because in a way, like my parents are kind of a religious. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't go to church growing up. They did not push religion on me. The older I get and just reading into it, I've never actually had the direct conversation with them, but I don't I don't think that they're believers, I guess, is for lack of a better word. Like, I just don't think it's part of their nature. Uh, that being said, I have also been baptized, uh, pro- probably at my grandmother's urging. We're not going to hell, Kyle. 
I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I was, I was baptized Anglican though. So I probably still will be. You're going to hell. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The the church developed because the king wanted to divorce people. For good reason. Just, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a better way than killing them. So at least (laughs) it was a step up. But yeah. I mean, he still did, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, But very late. I think I was 10 years old. Oh, that's interesting. Baptized. Because me and my sister got baptized at the same time. Oh. Maybe in a 10. I must have been eight or something like that. So you that, have a memory was... of it. Oh, yeah. Did you get, yeah. hey, what's Anglican? Did you have to get your head under the no, water? No, I think it's no. immersed. He just took the water and like and threw it across on, on my head. head. Yeah. Yeah. I have a complicated relationship as well because I, of course, knew at a very early age that there was something different about me. Mm. And that's like, I think, you know, boys are neat. I don't know. <laughs> They're just like. Some of them are attractive, are right? Everyone, everyone no. thinks this, right? Everyone says, no, no. Oh, okay, I should not talk about this to other people. Um, anyway, so I needed to be saved, Dave, and I needed my soul to be rectified. Interestingly enough, became very, very good friends, still am friends, with, uh, with a person who was devoutly religious. Mm, mm. So I started going to like Sunday schools by my own volition. Good. Would go to Sunday well, school. Oh, this is, I would have been in my teens wow. by this point. Okay. So. Like that, that was Seeking my teenage rebellion redemption. was going yeah. to church. Not like <laughs> anyways, um, I still remember though, because having never gone to church until 14, 15 years old, I, I think most churches do this right where you go and you sit down. Maybe Catholics don't do this. I don't know. Anyways, there's this point in the church service usually where it's like, get up and like talk to your neighbors and oh, like yeah. glad yeah. hand them and everything like that. And I always found that like the weirdest forced thing yeah. in the world as me as like this shy 15 year old I'm like i don't i don't i just want to sit here and not talk to people you don't force me to go up and talk to people and then i felt bad that i didn't have a tithe to put into the bowl the collection bowl that went around like, I, I have no money churches have money it's fine <laughs> it's, it's okay <laughs> there was this wrestling of like i'm going to hell and i don't know what to do about this and maybe going to church is going to save it and i had all these like weird conflicting opinions and then by a certain point End of high school, getting into university, you know, as well, especially in university. The, I mean, this is where the liberals want to indoctrinate us, Dave, where you kind of get Commie introduced bastards. to other concepts. Mm-hmm. I actually took like a history of religion course. Mm. And that's where it's like, wait a second, like all of these have the same story. Yep. That's weird. Why is that a thing? And they started to pick it apart. And then uh, basically over time, I do now call myself an atheist. So it's. I've kind of run the full trajectory. I am still, though, good friends with people. I mean, we've had him on the podcast, uh, Justin Bills, who is a pastor in this city. Well, in Calgary, when we get back to Earth. So much like you, I don't really have much use for big R religion, like the institutions of the Catholic Church. I, I don't have any value in those. If you want to push for like a community organization, that helps out the community, that gives back to the poor, who preaches kindness. All those tenets I'm totally for. I Weirdly enough, even though I'm not religious and consider myself an atheist, the Jesus story I always found kind of super compelling just as a story, as a figure who's like, this is much like a very, very bastardized, like boiled down version of this. But it's like, hey, maybe we should all love each other. And that was met with, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah. That's that's basically the story of Jesus. Well, I mean, with few exceptions, yeah. you know, most of the idealistic portions of faith come from that, which is mm-hmm. this uh, 
as I was kind of alluding to the beginning, you know, when you talk about it being in a church service where people are are forced by convention to to uh, greet their neighbor, I mean, this is exactly one of the major functions of religion, which is to uh, learn compassion for people you've never met before, presumably. Right. I mean, often people still sit in cliques and there's a whole, you know, uh, layer, but I think that's... It's fascinating. You know, when you look at everything from, I, I mean, I couldn't name some of the original Indian ascetics, but, um, you know, Buddha, Jesus, um, you know, all of these sort of big spiritual figureheads. There's something like on the inside of the subtext where it is a message of like, just be nice to people and right, stop being right. such an asshole. But that seems to get twisted often in practice. So I don't rail against an institution in its entirety. I just hate some of the ways that certain people disabuse or abuse their authority. When you read about the history of religion, that is encompassing of an entire, you know, state essentially. Um, but in modern practice, like my best friend from high school is also a pastor. When you're able to have a conversation with anybody, a civil one of any belief, then there's a foundation of uh, intellectual discourse and you don't have to agree on shit and everything's fine. Like you and I, mm -hmm. uh, our uh, budding heads in 1971 <laughs> over films, but we didn't quit and jump off the ship um, because, because- I mean, I was close. I was close. <laughs> well, you did just ask me to examine your prostate. So we'll have to have a talk after this recording. Sure. But um, I think that's important. That's a, a skill that's becoming more and more lost. Uh, and I blame, I hate social media more than I hate religion, to be honest with you, uh, for this very reason. <sighs> you know, there's this there's is no gonna... discourse. No, I get it. I mean, I just- there's also this part of me that just reacts so violently whenever like social media it always sounds like old man yells at cloud territory every time it comes up but like i agree and at the same time i find that also too much of a catch-all term sure it's social media that's the cause of it it's like well technically if we want to be very technical about it it's the algorithms on the social media channels that are the issue not not the social media itself but yeah I, like everything the social media for example is a conduit through which certain aspects of humanity expresses itself. But the thing about social media as a, a process that I dislike so much is that it, algorithm or not, you can easily shut yourself off from that discourse and go into an echo chamber willingly or even unwillingly. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to listen to other people. And that's where I think hate comes from. Uh, that is the original ironic function of religion was to break that aspect down and force people into a building uh, in, the, in the old days through a right, mythological- you are type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And there's a mythological line in the center so that everybody would come. You know, you can't be like, oh, well, Bobby's, Bobby's pretty smart. So let's go to mm -hmm. the uh, market and listen to, I mean, Greek philosopher could argue, tried that, but- you know, you don't go to a church to listen to Bobby. You have to have a mythology underneath it that people are like, you mm -hmm. know, there's a mysterious dude who got nailed to a, like a cross and he was happy about it. I got to go hear about this guy. And then when you get in, everybody's like, oh, shake this guy's hand. <laughs> you're like, fuck. All right. You're you ripping me off me. at the fish market, but I guess we can still be friends. Right? I, I don't right, know. Right, right, right. There's too much to decompress because it's there's, of course, hard. the Christian religions, the, you know, the Abrahamic religions. Like, no. Sorry, yeah. I missed, but well, we're all yeah, the three they're, they're all Islamic, Jewish, yeah, the, the Islamic, Jewish, um, Islamic, Jewish, and I mean, there's different, I don't know, sects within this too. But I've always been, again, fascinated by the Jewish faith specifically because I could be getting this twisted a little bit, but from my understanding, if you go and be like, I want to convert to Judaism, like you're going to be more like, why? Tell me, tell me why you want to be Jewish. 
<laughs> it's, it's, process, like, yeah. it, it's a process, but it's also a, a part of the Jewish religions to question everything almost. It's like, why? Why is being Jewish a good thing? Tell me, convince me that you want to be Jewish for real. Like, I don't know. There's something about that that's like <laughs> I'm, hilarious to me. I don't know if that's the religion or just essentially 2000 years of being made the scapegoat of all sure. the wrongs of European history. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, and this is the complex part too about talking about uh, systems of belief versus their actual practical application in the sure. real world. Just worship the one true God, robot Mark Zuckerberg, which is just regular Mark Zuckerberg. Don't be dicks, everyone. Just don't be dicks. That's that's my thing. Just try to be pleasant. Imagine that. You're like meeting someone and be like, have you been pleasant today? And someone's going to tell you. Fuck you, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> crucify you. Which, by the way, what the, that is such a... Like human thing to devise. You know what we should do? No. Nail somebody by the hands across a board and then like erect them onto a pole to let them die. Yeah, that just, seems. I think mostly okay to do. string them up. But yeah, I, yeah, the accounts of what human beings are capable of doing to each other, and we talked jokingly in seventy one to animals. Uh, we could do the big woke thing about the environment, mm -hmm. but uh, at our core, we are capable of what we would term evil all the time. Okay, well, that's another thing that I don't have time to de deconstruct, Dave, because uh, <laughs> we have this film to get to. We are talking about this film already. <laughs> what is the history that you have with this movie? None. I've never heard mm -hmm. of it. I also don't have anything to really add on to that other than I did hear about it, I'm going to say about a year ago, maybe. I do recall as I'm like obsessed by going on the Letterboxd app and cataloging movies, sometimes I'll just go through and see like, what's on the top 250 movies? Cause it changes every so often. And I noticed that there was this movie called the devils. I'm like, Oh, that's a pretty provocative title. And I was like 1971. Oh, I wonder if the machine's going to talk about this in 1971. <laughs> Not that we have control over Not that. Not that we knew yeah. about that no. a year ago, yeah. no. but I'm just saying what, what an algorithm. interesting year. It was the algorithm. <laughs> Blame and then I looked into it. And then, so all I know about it really is the reputation that it has, that it was like hated by critics when it first came out, basically banned in a bunch of places. Like it really was this divisive thing that came out into theaters years before Last Temptation of Christ or anything similar to do with religion. And I've wanted to see it ever since. It's really hard to find. I blame you, Criterion. I don't really know what it's about. I have seen a picture of Oliver Reed covered in blood. And it's called The Devils. That is all I know about this What movie. could go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just briefly, do you know Ken Russell at all? No. Who's the director of this movie? Yeah, no. The only other movie I have seen that Ken Russell has directed is the movie Tommy. Oh, right. The one that's adapted from the <laughs> Who's rock opera. Awesome. Tommy, which is in itself a buck wild movie to sit down and watch. So they'll be singing in this? I mean, I would love that. Turn this into a musical. That'd be amazing. Let's see this, Dave. There's no use uh, belaboring the point. Mm. We need to have our penance. We need to go and watch this movie. Exercise our demons. It is our cross to bear, yeah. I guess, Dave. It is our yeah. cross to bear. So let's go thanks to sponsors. When we come back, then we'll be talking about the movie The Devils. I like how cheery you sound there. The Devils. The Devils. <laughs> this summer. <laughs> <laughs> Warner Brothers brings to you The Devils starring Oliver Reed Vanessa Redgrave The latest family the, romp In the funniest movie of the year <laughs> What happens when you take a starved priest and uh, convent nuns and throw them in a station wagon and bring them out It's high stakes <laughs> comedy <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> 
Dave, I mean, of course, we do have to let people know that Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. How many of them do you think want to be associated with the movie The Devils, Dave? Well, here in uh, liberal-minded Alberta, all of them? I mean... <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. If they knew that we're about to talk about some nuns having uh, oh, we'll fellatio with a candle, I mean, <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's a thing that happens. It's, it's on brand. It's on brand. One of these great sponsors who has no problem being associated with this depraved film uh, is Park Power. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet electricity and natural gas with low rates awesome service and profit sharing with local charities you know in alberta dave you get to choose who to buy your internet electricity and natural gas from you do do. i do you do i do and you do if you choose park power no sorry no that's yeah (laughs) not not like that only if park power only if you choose park power do you also (laughs) get to choose who to buy it from are we gonna talk about free will later great yeah exactly (laughs) hey you have free will you just have to buy it from us Listen, if you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a good fit. As good of a fit as that candle. No, don't do that. Nope. Yeah, let that (laughs) one go. You can learn more. I mean, I'm going to be having to warm myself with a candle here, probably, because no one is going to sell me electricity after oh this ad God. read. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. So, uh, without any of the uh, innuendo, because I have self-respect and class, Kyle, so I won't be mm-hmm. talking about having sex. Wait, no, well, I just... All my notes go out the window, then. That's all, I ha- that's all I was going to talk about. <laughs> so, we're talking about podcasts, so let me talk about pod power. With Pod Power, sponsor making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. How come we're not on this list? This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to you. It's because it's Edmonton. We need mm-hmm. a Calgary, uh, Calgary-based thing. Your Forest. Your Forest is a podcast about the natural world. I love if, it. If you want, it's, you can- It looks like your forest has become our forest. Oh, that's, you know, I gotta put like a nice, some foley. Some birds, (laughs) gentle wind. If you're looking to hear stories about the environment, renewable resources, conservation, forestry, hunting, fishing, and more, this is a podcast for those who cannot live without the joys and wonders of all wild things. Find Your Forest wherever you get your podcasts or at yourforestpodcast.com. That's yourforestpodcast.com. I say this cut it all down. It's fine. We'll, we'll find a way. Who needs oxygen, right? It's so overrated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go talk about some nuns. Dave, this was a weird movie to watch together. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting a little close. I think we should a too buy close. a three-seater because this love seat yeah. action watching the devils was a mistake. Could feel your sweat. <laughs> yeah. I, here, I'm going to say this as a preface to this entire conversation that we're about to launch into. I could understand somebody saying this is one of my favorite movies of all time and i hate this movie i never want to watch it again simultaneously yes. i actually like 
I actually agree with almost both of those positions mm-hmm. simultaneously. Opening up another can of worms here, I guess. Dave, tell me, what were your immediate thoughts on watching The Devils? I feel like you just uh, stated it for me. I, I, <laughs> I, I, it presumably, if we hadn't been watching this together, although if it wasn't for COVID, can you actually imagine watching this together, Kyle? <laughs> Anyways, uh, back- I can just I, I just imagine this world where me and you are on a couch and your wife walks in and is like, how's the movie? And I'd be <laughs> like, turns- I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Can you imagine like we're, we're sitting there. She turn, she does a quarter turn and uh, there are some we scenes in there. We have a pillow that- fort between oh, the two of us. Like, this is me. not this is not what you think. <laughs> to your first point, if we were to break the deep and rich fiction, I watched half of this film before I had to leave uh, to go pick up my son at school. And this is a film that I needed to go back to, even though it hadn't really ramped up in its grotesqueness, but it was already grotesque as it was, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. I mean, it is in some sense a masterpiece. It's a film, but it's so depraved, and I can understand why the church and many uh, censors want to burn this fucking movie. Sure. What's amazing is when I came back to it, uh, I we joked. I don't think I breathed. I'm pretty sure I was holding my breath for the last hour. Uh, I was clenched up, sweating. I, I think I was physically sweating at the end of it. I can't stop thinking about it. Right. This is another one of those films where love it or hate it. I'm glad I watched it. Yeah. Because what an experience. Yeah. <laughs> like I think it's a better movie than say like a Billy Jack is, but in both. <laughs> <laughs> which is a wild a, thing to say. What a comparison. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing at all alike as far as, as two movies go. But similar in that is like, I'm glad I watched both of those movies. Like, yeah, there's this things to talk about within these movies that gets me so excited. It's not like, well, we watched Plaza Suite and I immediately <laughs> forgot about it because it's Plaza Suite. Who cares about this movie? Well, Amy something something does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> This is a movie, this is a film that tries to do everything at once. It is so Mm. epic in both its scale and scope, like its uh, plot or its story, which is based on historical events, and also its depravity because uh, Ken Russell was like, fuck it, let's just just let it all hang out. It is a hard thing to watch both uh, intellectually because you have to challenge yourself to think about the reality of all the suffering and madness in this. And then viscerally that you have to sit through and just see some of the most grotesque things yeah. put onto celluloid, <laughs> as they say in the industry. It was good. I mean, I'm going to give it a high score, but I okay. never want to watch okay. it again. I kind of want to watch this film with a crowd, to be brutally honest with you. <laughs> I just want to see people react or hear people reacting to things that are happening on this. As I started out this conversation, I don't consider myself a religious person. And there are some things that happen in this movie like, okay, like maybe you're going maybe a bit too far with your like religious like blasphemy here. Like I like I had a a, I can't I can't tell you how visual reaction I had of first a nun looking at the Bible and ripping out pages and like, okay, like that's that's pretty provocative. Then she starts burning individual page i'm like whoa okay and then she's burning the entire bible I'm like holy fuck like what is happening in this movie this is also of course happening while a bunch of nuns are having an orgy behind her as well so it's like whoa 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 <laughs> like how, how far is this gonna go we should also kind of emphasize it's not an orgy in a uh, you know modern pornographic sense i mean we're talking about an orgy in the uh, hellish 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, l- one of the levels of hell sense. I mean, it's, it is psychotic, right? Yeah. It's not a bunch of people having sex. They're, it's demonic in its depiction. Demonic in nature. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and this is the thing where this is the biggest struggle I have with this movie. Again, I've only watched it once. Oftentimes, I really do feel like you have to watch movies two times to really so we're nail go back down to what your feelings are. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Where, what I struggle with the most in this movie is I don't know if it comes down, and maybe that's part of the point. I could never fully grasp, are the nuns going insane real? Like, are they really just a mania that's sweeping through them? Or... Are they legitimately demonically possessed in the in the purview of this movie? We can have a conversation about the reality in the real world in a moment, but inside the movie, what is actually happening? Um, and parts of it, it, it feels like it goes back and forth. The sisters start speaking tongues. They do like the weird crab walk on the back of the hands thing that the exorcist would do too a few years after this. I could never really understand like, okay, are they are they trying to say that she's actually demonically possessed or is she just faking it? Besides that, though, I think the rest of the story has some really fascinating things to kind of delve into. Um, I remember texting you on the couch. The first, like, I don't know, 15 minutes of this movie, it feels like it's a lost Shakespeare play. Just the language that's being used, the the, the framing it is. You can tell that in part we're based yeah. on a play. Yeah. Oliver Reed is delivering those with such like he's fantastic. his screen presence is like off the charts. Like yeah. every time he's on, I'm like, I just want to watch more of you. Yeah. So did the nuns. <laughs> so did the nuns. So I can understand why they would go and flip their lids over seeing this man, this beautiful man with a beautiful mustache. Great mustache, yeah. And I do think that it does a great job of really showing, I guess, the overreach of the state. Of course, our favorite punching bag from this era of French is Cardinal Richelieu, who would you know, go on to be in the Three Musketeers and stuff, was a real person. It was really hated. What, what I found the most compelling is kind of his, like, Christ-like stance at the end, which is, for sure, this is a man who is a priest who is having sex with lots of women. And he's he's upfront by that, right? Like, when he goes to trial, he's like, listen, if you want me to confess going against, like, the tenets of what I swore to do, fine, I'll do that. Yes, I am having sex with women. I, I'm not possessing. I'm not using black magic on these people. I'm not going to say that I did. I don't know. I always find that so compelling and fascinating to watch person like have that stand. It's like, <laughs> I am not going to say something that I did not do. I will say that, yes, in, in a couple of scenes, like the over campiness, uh, yeah. over campiness, I guess a little bit of like the nuns go so ham in some of those scenes. Like it's just like, oh, off the page crazy that it's just like, whoa <laughs> like the tonal shifts sometimes in this film are there but i think it is in part there because you need to understand that these nuns have whipped themselves into a frenzy at such a high pace or are actually being compelled to convince these people that they are under some sort of spell that's the thing i mean we will obviously never know what ken russell intended uh, even mm. if he has stated in some essays somewhere we, we won't really know we won't know about the actual experiences on set and how the decisions right. were made to um, ask, let's say, the women or even the, the men, it, not just in that scenario, but throughout the film to act in a particular way. The way I watched it, the way I interpreted it, it I mean, number one, and when you bring up the first hour uh, or half an hour of the historical epic, it is fascinating by the end how the 
the seeds are sown, <laughs> uh, to talk about complex natures of ethics and uh, good behavior and the and the aptly named title, The Devils, which uh, I was actually trying to explain this to my son because I brought up that I'd watched a scary movie called The Devils and he asked me what a devil was. And oh, so, yeah. you know, in literature, we often anthropomorphize this concept of devil as a being, you know, as like a, a god or anti-god that goes out and whispers into people's ears and lets them perform evil things. You know, in many ways, we could also uh, characterize that as instinct. And you brought up an interesting point, which is uh, when things go really off the rails, and this is part I clutched the most, that orgy, rape, all of that crazy scene, making women puke and like, I don't know right. what the fuck was going on there. By the way, do you know what that stuff was that they were forcing they down were, them? Like the milky substance? Like what it was actually semen. was They that? talked about it. Yeah. Oh, was it? Really? Yeah, yeah. They were, the oh. two fake scientists were going through and they were like, well, this is a part of bread and then this is, you know, semen and this is, they, they bring it up. Fucking no, no, gross. but, mm. But that, that, that's what they're injecting them with? Oh, no. Uh, in the, like, when they're purging, that's just hot, yeah, hot yeah. boiling hot water. Oh, that's right. Okay. It's just, it's a very milky white If substance. you're listening to this, I mean, haven't seen this film, I mean, this this movie goes way, way outside oh, yeah. the it boundaries. Goes <laughs> way, like, way outside than what you think. Um, I, like, I mean, I, I know it's supposed to be, I know what it's supposed to look like, and that's what what's provocative about it, but it's like, but what actually is that? I thought it was like soapy water for a bit. Like, no, I didn't no, really know what it was. It might have been acid in it for all we know. But uh, anyways, uh, so, you know, you get this question of how much of religion is performative? How much of it is genuine? You know, her hallucination, uh, the mother, you know, Vanessa Redgrave's hallucinations and all the nuns and their uh, fantasizing about uh, the sex they can't have. Even the subtle hint that the mother gives when she says, these women are not here because they're pious. All of these women are here because they've been discarded or hiding from something. So Yeah, I like that. I yeah, like that actual um, explanation. We get this uh we get this very good and honest through line that there's no such thing as absolute piety. I mean, being human is to struggle with evil. You can't there's no such thing as free will if you always do the right thing. I mean, it's just not you don't have an existence. It's it's ridiculous to think that way. Luckily, I always do the wrong thing. Well, there's also like the kind of subtext I found in this movie. It feels the higher up in the chain of command you go, the more people are there like, we're pious in quotes, but we kind of know this is bullshit. We're yeah. just using this to get more power. Well, and I think that's the controversial thing in the uh, historical analysis of the 15th, 16th century medieval Renaissance era religion, when religion became the state and what Marx got so upset about. They're not a religion. They're a political entity at that point. Even the monarchies that claim to be lineages from, you know, whatever saints, it was all bullshit. It was essentially a marketing tool to ensure enslavement and fiefdom and fucking power. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And Richelieu has become a figurehead, but it's not just him and the Spanish Inquisition. Like all of these big movements from religion to take over the state are fascinating to kind of analyze, but so dark. I mean, that's when you get the most yeah. vile uh, stories of this torture. But when you brought up, you know, that particular scene when the, the nuns have transcended into this like shock horror state and they're doing weird mm -hmm. contortions and sticking their tongues out. And, you know, is that a survival mechanism? <laughs> I mean, stroking a candle, like it's- yeah. Is that like, survival? The, the masturbating with the candle and then licking the flame as if yeah. it's a cum shot. I mean, it's like, whoa, what is happening? And so, yeah, so you get this question, I think, at least in discussion, about whether that was meant to be dark pornography, which I think is why this film is banned. Is mm -hmm. it meant to be a commentary of what human beings are capable of doing for survival? Is it meant to be uh, some kind of, uh, you know, uh, allegory about 
the seven deadly sins. I have no idea. But I think when I'm watching it, it brings all of those concepts up in my head, which is why I can get through that stupid scene. <laughs> and it is frightening. It's frightening to watch. But because the film doesn't stop there or convince itself that that's good enough and it goes back into an intellectual discourse and you get the sort of uh, cynical heroism of the of uh, Oliver Urban. Reed's character, yeah. he's not a hero and he acknowledges it, which is right. one of the most powerful parts towards the end. He's like, and he brings us up, you know, as a man, I'm born with sin. My sin is lust, essentially, a paraphrasing. And I did have sex with all these women. But that's my, again, paraphrasing, my cross to bear. Yeah. Uh, and I will suffer and be judged for that. But all of this other madness, this uh, attempt that I can see cleared to destroy our town, to give Count Richelieu, uh, Cardinal Richelieu all of this power is bullshit. And you should all be ashamed of yourself. What's also twisted is that all of the um, conspirators that bring this all about absolutely know what they're doing, with the exception oh, yeah. of the exorcist, who like, is like an Iggy Pop fanboy or something. Uh, <laughs> Really miscast that one guy, but uh, he is—he's um, a Bond villain. He's—he's a, he's a oh. villain in one of the Bo Roger Moore, I think, Bond movies. Anyways, that's where I know him yeah. from. <laughs> he was—that was a—that was, was a weird casting. This is not a perfect film, but it yeah, asks really big questions, and uh, I think this is why it has staying power right now. I want to jump into all of those deeper questions. I've written some stuff down that I want to try and. Um, work through solve the, humanity's problems let's do it right i'm ready before we do the backstory here though I, I just want to get this out this is a type of movie that comes out and i've told i've said this so many times on this show i just admire big swings mm. even if it fails i'm like at least they tried for something and, and i really respect that but this is also one of those movies that actually makes me like other movies less mm. <laughs> because of what it's trying to do and what it succeeds at is this better than other movies have tried that we've talked about in 1971. The two that come to mind, again, two vastly different movies. First is, of course, Nicholas and Alexandra, yep. which we've talked about, which is just kind of like you're like your boring a fail. costume a yep. drama type yep. of thing, right? Somehow gets nominated for Best Picture. Maybe as an antithesis to this film. Possibly. Yeah. It's just like, no, this is the type of movie that we really want to do. Yeah. But I mean, another Best Picture nominee is a clockwork orange while i think that it's views on violence they're they're different takes on the same type of subject but like we had that deep discussion that really opened my eyes about like okay if you were gonna have violence against women happen and then see how kubrick tried to do that and see the the way that they are um for lack of a better word laid bare inside of a clockwork orange like its themes don't ever really come together in any satisfying way for me Whereas in this film, boy, does it go way more hardcore than what Clockwork Orange does. And yet at the same time, well, yes, it does veer into the pornographic. I, I feel like, quote unquote, the point is there. There, there at yeah. least is some type of um, dialogue ethic. that is being trying to struck up here about like religion, sexual repression, the explosion of that when... When someone takes it too far, politics. How yeah. that how the state uh, comes in and exacerbates the problem and and utilizes female trauma to its own devices. None of which is really talked about in the Clockwork Orange. Yeah, there's and it's so weird to say because this film is so offensive, but there's some sort of moral core at the center of this film. Uh, we learn it's written or read the book. It's based on a book written by Aldous Huxley. So there's no right. surprise because Aldous Huxley is a fucking intelligent dude 
who uh, knew how fucked we were. (laughs) And I think that's exactly it. This movie, when you leave it, you feel sullied and dirty just because it's so graphic. But your brain is working because you're suddenly presented with all the... You watch Oliver Reed being tortured to death and then you start thinking, wait, is he right? Like, did he do the right thing? I I don't know anymore. You have to question all of the layers. When you see the uh, pantomime of the king and we we get the insult to the idea of monarchy, we are now desensitized to it because so many people have taken this to the next level where, you know, we, it's kind of common to cast monarchs in a, in not just a satirical, but yeah, to just- And also- Without saying it is basically a pedophile, like again, it's shown to be that way. That's not entirely untrue either. But um, yeah, so you leave that. Whereas with Kubrick films, you just—it's just perversion for the sake of perversion, in my opinion. And it's not that they're—he's a master filmmaker, but you do leave a lot of his films wondering, like, am I? What? Why do I feel so gross? You know, there's no resolution. Yeah, this is well. This is still one of those films, though, that I would feel so embarrassed if like a roommate walked in halfway through. It's like, is that that what you think? Well, I was really what you think. I just kept waving Helen to turn around. I was like, nope, nope, do not be in this room right now (laughs) because I don't know how to explain what's happening on the screen. Yeah. All right. I've been waving at you to leave for almost two years. So the devils came out on July 16th, 1971. It is currently rated 7.8 on IMDb. And on Metacritic, it has a 49. So Divisive. not liked by the critics. Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes, from 30 critics, it's at a 67%. And from 2,500 plus users, it's at 88%. This film, if you go to Amazon, is available on VHS Ooh. or DVD. That is it. There is no Blu-ray release of this movie. It was briefly available on the Criterion channel about a year ago. Uh, otherwise, you cannot get this anywhere else. Like, right, there is no way to stream this, rent it, buy it, uh, unless you go on Amazon and buy a DVD copy of this. And if you're wondering then how Dave and I watched this on a ship far away from Earth, all I can say is to mind your fucking business, Narc. Aliens. Aliens. <laughs> it was the machine. The machine was able to give it to us here. I don't know what its budget was, but it did make $11 million dollars in 1971, which is actually way higher than I thought it was going to, because that's about $74 million adjusted for inflation. Its plot description is, in 17th century France, Father Urbain Grandier seeks to protect the city of Loudon from the corrupt establishment of Cardinal Richelieu. Hysteria occurs within the city when he is accused of witchcraft by a sexually repressed nun. It stars Oliver Reed as Urbain Grandier, Vanessa Redgrave as Sister Jean. Yeah, Jean, I think is how they say her name. Sure. Dudley Sutton as Baron de Labramont. <laughs> Max Adrian as Hubert. And Michael Gothard as Father Barre. By the way, just a little side note. Michael Gothard is the person who played the Oliver Reed character on stage. Mm-hmm. So he's in this film, but in a different role. Um, tell me anything you want to say about these actors, Dave. Well, I didn't really do the research on the last three because I just spent too much time on Oliver Reed and Vanessa Redgrave. But, sure. um, you know, Oliver Reed, I suppose most recently, no, I didn't realize this, but he was the uh, slave master gladiator trainer in Gladiator. And he died on set. Yeah, Yeah, he died died on on set. set. Did you hear how he died? No, I don't know. In between scenes, because he's a huge alcoholic. Um, apparently the legend says that he, uh, got convinced Ridley Scott to put him in this film, uh, on the condition that he would not 
be drinking during its production because he is right. infamous. Like some of these stories you should read are fucking nuts, man. Like he gives Andre the Giant a run for his fucking money. It's gross. <laughs> sure, sure. So apparently witnesses say he's like 63 or something at this time. In between sort of shoots, he's at a bar. I don't know if this is in the middle of the day or if it's like the next day or whatever. And there's a, a group of sailors in this port in uh, Malta, I think. And uh, whether he starts it or he's dared to, they start drinking competition. And he's like just snowing these people down. And then they decide they're going to have an arm wrestling competition. And he actually allegedly beat five of these young men in arm wrestling before suddenly having a heart attack and dying Jesus on the floor Christ. of the spot. Yeah. <laughs> Well, quite a way to go out. There's also, I mean, you must have noticed the scars on his face. Yeah. So those are real. And that happened in the late 60s because he had been playing so many tough guys that apparently he just thought he was like a badass and he picked a fight in a bar. Like it didn't escalate I was right hoping then. so much you were going to say with Charles Bronson or something like well, that. Well, <laughs> what's sad is uh, I guess he went to go take a piss or shit or something in the washroom and this group of men trapped him in there and uh, with broken bottles, started Oof. cutting him up. He had 64 stitches on his face and he thought his career was over, but it was Ken Russell actually who was like, you transcend your face because mm -hmm. he has so much bravado. But <laughs> I want someone to say that to me one day, you transcend your face. Uh, but the rest of the anecdotes are just awful. He's just not a good person. When you drink that much, <laughs> yeah, apparently he's just known for being... Uh, just brutal, misogynistic, angry. Uh, he mm. lost so many potential roles. So during this movie and in the mid seventies, he was considered one of the top draw, draw drawers, one of the top draws in British mm. film, and even starting to encroach Hollywood. But there's rumors that he was he could have been the next Bond, that he was supposed to be in Jaws, mm. he was supposed to be in The Sting, but he's always too drunk, and people yeah. were worried about his uh, personage, and they were right. He's a good friend of uh, Christopher Lee. Apparently, okay, they shared that. the same dentist, that. which is weird. He was really good friends uh, with, what's the guy, uh, one of the guys from The Who when they were drinking and drugging buddies. Uh, on the shooting of The Three Musketeers, which is like one of his big films, he almost died. He got stabbed in the throat. Jesus Christ. During a duel. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm trying my best to not get too involved with these write-ups anymore, but this guy's life is unreal <laughs> wild man. it's too bad like you, you i almost when whenever i hear those stories about like just like either giant drug addicts or alcoholics it's like i kind of want you to have your robert downey jr moment of being able to come back and conquer know. hollywood or something but it doesn't really happen very often very no. often he just needed peter o'toole's liver apparently yeah. Um, oh, and you know what's funny? I was reading how he became famous. I think the Oscar now, uh, the Oscar winning film he did was uh, just before this. Is a movie we actually women, talked about. Women, women in Love. In, women in Love, yeah. So it's like a Ken Russell movie. Yeah, I was reading it and I was like, why have I heard about this? And they talked about how it was controversial because it was the first film with uh, full frontal male nudity and a wrestling match in front of a fire. And I was like, why do I know about this? Because it starred Glenda Jackson. Glenda and Jackson. Yeah, I'm going to bring her up here in a moment. Yeah, but yeah. we talked about her. <laughs> Anyways, um, Vanessa Redgrave is like Vanessa Redgrave. The Redgraves, I mean, they have a dynasty of actors. Yep. And uh, I didn't know this, but Natasha Richardson was her daughter, which is really mm -hmm. sad. The year Natasha Richardson died was the same year Vanessa Redgrave lost her brother and sister. So no, it's, it's that's a shitty, for yeah, and she actually uh, dropped a big film project because it just was too much. She's got the Triple Crown. 
She's been nominated for so many fucking awards. It's insane. She's like a full-on activist paying bail to like political refugees and not yeah. like she's not a mouthpiece. She gets she gets in there. So she's a she's kind of a badass. The controversy for her was when she finally won her first Oscar, I guess only Oscar at this point. She'd been nominated six times already by 1977. She did a film called Julia. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a anti-fascist Nazi movie about a woman in Germany who's killed, I think. Right. But she also simultaneously uh, did the voiceover work for a pro-Palestinian documentary that year. Mm -hmm. And so when she was nominated, apparently the uh, Jewish Defense League, I think they used to be called, they picketed burned effigies. I mean, we're not going to get into uh, talking no. about the state of Israel. But yeah, that we is- we have way the, too much other stuff to talk about. I know. But the irony- of like protecting hate that was brought into your people by committing hate to other people. Yeah. I mean, we want the hypocrisy. Anyways, they tried to cancel her essentially in 1977. But her acting power was too great. Well, sort of. She won the Oscar, but she, because she doesn't give a shit apparently about anything because she's royalty, in her speech, she thanked, she thanked Hollywood for not uh, bowing down to these Zionist hoodlums. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> and she basically got blacklisted so she does do movies and she essentially wins awards every time but there are anecdotes that every film that she gets a cast in somebody tries to get her off the film and so mm -hmm. she's got to kind of fight to remain in these projects uh, so her bigger career ended up on the stage and she's got yeah tony's, tony's and inside, emmys yeah. and television series and she's kind of a big deal she was in uh mission uh, impossible girl interrupted <laughs> yes no yeah she was in no. Girl Interrupted. Was it the other one or that one? No. Yeah. She was... Um, I know we've talked about her in one yeah. of the episodes already. Right. So, Well, let me give you a history lesson here, Dave. Ooh. Because this movie was written by Ken Russell based on the play The Devils mm -hmm. by John Whiting and the book The Devils of Loudon by Aldous Huxley, directed by Ken Russell. So the year is 1634. The king is Louis XIII. And other than exiling his own mother and killing all of her supporters, he is best known because of his reliance on his advisors to run France, chief among them, Cardinal Richelieu, who has been portrayed in, of course, many works of fiction and nonfiction, but probably most famously in The Three Musketeers, where he is the main villain. He's also incredibly hot. Louis XIII was able to centralize his power because he would go around and just destroy the castles of the lords who did not like swear fealty to him and then he denounced private violence so what that means is like he outlawed dueling being able to carry weapons and maintaining private armies so therefore once all of that stuff was removed he kind of just swooped in tore down the walls of like the little mini armaments and just kept like adding that to like his france so that he could get more and more power. Now, this brings us to the town of Loudon, who was experiencing an outbreak of the plague, which we haven't talked about yet, but that does feature kind of prominently in the movie. At least at the beginning. Yeah. yeah, and on top of that, the king wanted the walls around this town demolished. The Catholics were like, sure, whatever the king wants. We're, we're pro-king, so if he wants to tear down the walls, let's do it. And then this other group, who I have just discovered today, that I've been pronouncing their name wrong this entire time, the Huguenots very much did not want this. I've always called them the Huguenots, but it's not. It's the Huguenots did not like this. So there's tension between these two factions plus the plague. So something is going to come to like this boiling point. Something's got to give. That's so what, uh, enter. Yeah, Jack told us. 
Exactly. Enter Urban Grandier. God, this is this whole backstory could have been like 10 hours long. <laughs> um, his parentage is a bit in dispute, but it's thought that his parents were very important people in the court, but they wanted to keep it quiet. So whatever. There's a whole thing about that in his biography. Regardless, he becomes a priest, but also, interestingly enough, Dave, uh, really likes having sex with women. So like, Imagine there's that. nothing... There's nothing better in the world for him than having sex with women. I can't relate, but whatever. Uh, no, he was, <laughs> this is the interesting part. Before the events of this movie take place, there was another trial he was a part of where he was stripped of being able to perform any priestly duties for five years. He appeals this and suddenly uh, many of these witnesses from the first trial recant and say that this never actually happened. So he's given his like powers back in the middle of this town and the warring factions and the plague and the king and all the stuff that uh, all these political machinations. A nun comes forward and says that she's been having visions specifically of an older priest who had recently passed away. And pretty soon, these other nuns are seeing that they're having similar visions. The church sends out some people to perform exorcisms. And after some interrogations, the evil spirit is identified first as a priest. Then it's actually Peter, the apostle, who is possessing them. And then finally, Zabulon. I don't know who that is. Did not have time. It was like, this is going to be another 20 hours if I go and find we'll out who this Zabulon is. Ghostbusters next, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's actually Zool. Zool was possessing them. Vigo. After one week, that is when uh, Urban Grandier is actually accused. It takes a week for them of doing all this stuff. Torture. This is really great. Torture. This is, what's that? Torture. That's how torture. I used to question. Right. Yeah, after some torture. torture. Light torture. But mm -hmm. uh, So this is really great timing because the king's men had been prevented from tearing down the wall because of the local militia. So Richelieu then sends out some more men to figure out what's going on because... Uh, this could be a great distraction so they can actually just tear down the fortifications. That's what he wants to do. Grandier is eventually found guilty and executed. The walls come down and the other benefit is then conversions because throughout this whole mess uh, of the church coming in and them seeing what's going on, some Protestants actually convert to Catholicism. So it's a it's a net win it's for Richelieu. It's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm going to say this. I have not done myself this deep historical analysis, but it does seem that the, it does seem that the historians believe that the nuns were not exactly telling the whole truth. I know, shocker. <laughs> One of a few things could have been going on. One, they were coerced by an outside party to just say that this is what was going on. Two, there's this other author who did his own like history and, and research who believes that it was actually the local boarding students who were playing pranks on the nuns to make them think possessions were happening and then things just like really spun out of control really really quickly but finally the the going theory and this is brought on by aldous huxley himself in his book the devils of ludon is that that the mother superior sister jean of the angels had a vendetta against urban specifically after her hearing about his sexual exploits she tried to get him to become the spiritual director of the convent, and he turned down that offer, and that enraged her. She got so angry that he turned down her offer to become this spiritual advisor that she accuses him of using black magic to seduce her, and then slowly the other nuns start making similar accusations. A little side note to this is that apparently he did actually apply to become the spiritual advisor. It's just that the church gave it to somebody else. So this puts like an, an extra like awfulness to this story. So that's the kind of the brief history of what actually happened in this town. Well, I mean, it's what happened in this movie. 
That being said, Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley is this English writer best known for his book, Brave New World, which uh, does seem to be coming true Mm -hmm. the more and more we go on. Uh, So good for him, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) This book, The Devils of Ludon, is published in 1952. It's in 1961 that the playwright John Whiting wrote this play called The Devils, based on the book. And because it's a different medium, a few things are changed, such as some characters just being invented for the story, and a few other are composite characters, so multiple characters put into one role, just to, like, streamline things. Um, And there's also uh, this role of the sewer man, who takes the place of essentially the Greek chorus. He gets to snidely make comments about what's actually happening on stage and kind of keep the, the action going. Fairly well received at the time. We jump to 1969. Ken Russell is coming off of the film Women in Love, which had received a lot of critical praise. It also starred Oliver Reed, but, it's all, but it also starred, as we just mentioned, Glenda Jackson, who we saw in Sunday Bloody Sunday. That's the role she wins, Women in Love I'm talking about. That's what she wins her Oscar for. Russell at this time is already known for a bit of a controversial style. Some call it flamboyant. He'd read the Aldous Huxley book a few years before and was, in his own words, knocked out by it. This is, I found, the most shocking thing. Dave, he at the time was a devout Catholic. It's not that shocking if you've ever known Catholics. I think Catholics. it is. It's like, um, well, you, so need he, to know, you need to meet some more yeah. Catholics. Maybe I do. Catholicism, uh, sorry, the uh, people who are Catholic are stricken I by guess- a bipolar nature. Because, I guess yeah. I said, like I've seen most of the films directed by uh, Mel Gibson, and those get so fucking violent in them. It's like I thought you were a Catholic, but maybe they just get off on it. Who knows? No, it's, it's a history of hypocrisy. It's hard. Yeah. They tell you one thing, they do another. Everybody who follows it, are, we're always conflicted. Always. Um, it's that yin and yang, Dave. It's the yin and yang. Yeah. Um, he is attracted to it because he felt it was the story about the overreach of the state. So he sets to work adapting it. He reads the play and borrows some elements from it, but it's mostly the book he's adapting because he found the play too sentimental. Uh, <laughs> he also added in a lot about the plague, which isn't in either of the source materials. So that's a bit of his own thing. Apparently his brother was like this expert in French history. This interestingly enough. So sure. he was able to give him some of this Whose brother isn't? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, he, he just loves French history, you know. <laughs> He's one of those people. Now, while he knew he was being provocative, again, he says he truly felt he was not being pornographic about anything that he put into this film. Russell gets to casting. He brings in Oliver Reed, as he'd been working with him before and a few other projects before this. He wanted Glenda Jackson to be Sister Jean, but she turns it down because, quote, she didn't want to play any more neurotic, sex-starved parts. Which is interesting because that is kind of what Sunday by Sunday is, too. A little bit of what she's done. So I could get it. I get it. And it should be noted, though, that by the end of this shoot, Russell and Reed did not speak to each other. They were not on speaking terms. Uh, it was a hard shoot, apparently. Um, and, it came, and when it came to releasing the film, it faced some other hardships. Religious organizations were already picketing. Probably exacerbated by the fact that Oliver Reed was quoted as saying, We never set out to make a pretty Christian film. Charlton Heston made enough of those. The film is about twisted people. So, <laughs> I agree. In Brittany, named the devils. Yeah. yeah. In Britain, got an X rating, so meant for only people 18 and over, which, to be honest, fair. It should only be seen by 18 and over people. That said, Warner Brothers did make a couple of cuts there. Some of the torture scenes were reduced. 
And one scene, about two and a half minutes worth, where the nuns take down a statue of Christ and have sex with it, was removed completely. And then when it came to America, the MPAA demanded that even more cuts were to be made, uh, to the point where Russell complained that it made some of the scenes incomprehensible. In other places it was banned, in Finland for instance, it could not be shown there until the year 2011. So 10 years ago is the first time that you could watch this film in Finland. Warner Brothers has always been a bit squeamish over releasing the film. Fans petitioned Warner Brothers to release it on DVD, which they kind of begrudgingly did. Um, I, and I think that's the version that we saw, Dave. Uh, if I'm no comment, yeah, I think is probably the version that we saw. It's the 108 minute version though, that Warner Brothers releases, which is the U S version. The, 111-minute UK cut has never been released, and the US version was what was used on the Criterion channel a few months ago. What's also fun is that it is not available on HBO Max in the States where the other Warner Brothers films are streamed. Yet. So, mm -hmm. Yet, as of yet. So it's a hard movie to watch. It's a hard movie to track down. But if you can, I'm saying it right now, worth it. You should try to track it down. At least give it a watch and see what you think. Maybe. If you, if you can handle that sort of thing. <laughs> If you're not a weakling, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, it's a tough one. Okay, so the first point that I wanted to just knock out of here, number one, this is, of course, we're two days away from Halloween, Dave, and, and the machine has been having us go through horror films throughout the month of October. I have this question. Do you think this is a horror movie? No, I, I think this is a horrifying movie. Yeah. But I, after talking um, to you and Andrew, I almost said Andy. I don't know if we're that colloquial, but... <laughs> And you were telling me that, quote unquote, good horror movies do what this film did, which is sure. uh, to ask broader questions than just rub, um, you know, gelatinized mm -hmm. blood on a camera lens. In that sense, I can't really answer that question because I'm not a horror movie guy. To me, this is 50-50. This is a hor uh, historical epic. It's a horrifying one. It is a philosophical movie because it is asking brutal questions, timeless questions about the nature of human evil, ethics, and politics. It is all of these things wrapped in one. In my mind, it's too big to just be simply named a horror film. I think that uh, it w needed to be watched in this season, perhaps, but this is this is an epic. This is, in many ways, a masterpiece. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Like this is, this is, of course, coming from the dictionary.com definition here, but a horror film is one that seeks to elicit fear or disgust in its audience for entertainment purposes. I, I, but I do agree with you and in that I don't see that this is, I don't believe its primary purpose as a film is to horrify or disgust me. There might be elements and scenes in here that do that for me, but its main purpose is not to do that for me. So that's why I don't consider this a horror film. The real big point that I think we're dancing around here there is so much hysteria, depravity that the nuns are shown to be doing. They are naked. They're having orgies. Like I said, they're masturbating candles. They're being raped. Like there's a Tortured, lot of yep. difficult things to be watched at. I mean, even even not in those scenes where we see Sister Jean, for instance, is masturbating, mm -hmm. which I think is like, oh, okay, it's going going that way. Where do you think then? Where the, Where's the point that a movie crosses from just showing depravity and hysteria to exploiting depravity and hysteria? Like, where is that line for you? I mean, we, we talked about Kubrick and uh, Kubrick, Kubrick, whatever. I, there's no hard and fast line with these things, but I think that's a, that's an apt comparison. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much to judge 
Kubrick and Russell uh, so directly. But when you have any form of discussion, in this case, in the you know the medium of film, or when I read a book. I would like the opportunity to be left with a discussion either in my mind or with you or something uh, about broader problems, concepts, thoughts. I think the line, if there is one, is when there's nothing to talk about except the depravity itself. So if I leave a theater and all I can think about is, oh, that woman was uh, raped and I heard they shot that thing 40 times uh, and that's the end of that storyline, I don't want to talk about that film anymore. Because it doesn't reflect on any ethical problem that I might have to face on my own. This film, although I hope to never uh, go into a exorcism in the 16th century or 17th century in a broken nunnery and have a, a demon orgy around me, all of the underlying problems of when is it right to tell the truth? How do I know my own morality? What are the limits in which, let's say, love, for example, uh, is true or if it's lust? All of these things um, resonate with anybody at a base level if we can cut through all of the, the visceral material. Could this film exist without all the visual sort of grossness? I don't know. I mean, without that impactful cringing, do we even hear the story anymore? Because there are a lot of movies that try to have this. I mean, this is these are classic themes in literature. I mean, one thing that comes up often when you read about this movie is that it's somewhat based on the same source material or the same ideas as The Crucible. Right. Um, if you've ever watched that play or read the book or anything like that, a, a lie sometimes spirals out of control. Yeah, and and I mean, you're you're an English reader and you've studied all the classics. I mean, these are base themes in all human writing and thinking because the one thing we all grapple with, I think, emotionally and intellectually, is that being quote unquote good is really fucking hard. <laughs> sure. Right? And like nobody is capable of being good all the time. It is impossible to not lie. It is impossible to not think of oneself first. And instead, we need some kind of rigorous discipline around us to just find a leveling point. And movies like this, more so than I think Clockwork Orange, um, have a discussion about that. They have characters that exist on both ends of the spectrum, or even like uh, maybe not just two ends of a spectrum, but along a full spectrum so that we can pick and choose where we lie and then see what happens and be like, oh, fuck, well, I thought this guy was going to be the bad guy, like Urban, uh, whatever, Grand Grandier. But it yeah. turns out the crazy nun might be, or that Irishalu is like, so you're always flip-flopping. I like movies like that. Whereas in Clockwork Orange, I didn't feel that at all. I just felt like they're just trying to rub more grossness in my face and challenge me to swallow it. It was, it was just a weird sense, <laughs> well, right? It was. This is like one of my favorite soapboxes to get up on, which it, there seems to be this growing, I'll call it a minority right now, but a growing minority of film fans. I see it a lot on Twitter and Reddit and stuff like that of like complaining about, well, like uh, this character isn't like wholly good in this movie or like this, he has like faults and how am I supposed to sympathize with someone who's also like a deadbeat dad or whatever in whatever film you're watching? I'm like, well, that's kind of, I don't know, that's the power of fiction and why we, we watch it. If we wanted to watch wholly good people, it would make some boring movies. If they only ever did the right thing all the time, 100% of the time. Where I find this so rich is that the thing I keep coming back to is you have these two people of the cloth, right? You have the nun and you have the priest. And the priest is a thousand percent doing lecherous things, overstepping his bounds with women, but is accused of something that he did not do. Whereas on the opposite side of the thing, she might be more 
pious. Self-flagellating. Self-flagellating, that kind of stuff. But gleefully is throwing him under the bus. Yeah. Not that there were buses back in the 1600s, but the, the carriage, she, she almost the like uh, relishes the fact that she gets to watch this guy burn. And she was the one who did that. And she was able to bring this guy down because of some perceived slight Imagine, that he yeah. did. He doesn't know her. This is, by the way, again, how you can take films and apply them to modern contexts when that was not what their intended purpose was. But like, what a great thing to talk about in our internet age of yeah. people who think they know internet personalities or actors or singers Trolls, man. when yep. you do not. And when they do the wrong thing and you want to pillory them for that or like, your favorite cancel them for perceived slights, it's like, they don't know you. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is your issue? Anyways, I just think there's a lot of richness there that you could delve into as well. Yeah, that's the... That's the thing I mean, we've talked about. I can't remember how many movies, but what makes a film timeless? I mean, this is this is an almost nearly indigestible film. So there are many people I can understand, even if I half-jokingly suggest they watch it, who will hate me for even bringing it up because sure. this is a very difficult thing to get through. But like all lasting classical fiction or art, it really drives at both uh, the core principles of these kind of discussions, but the complexity of it. And so when you brought up people complaining about trying to follow a shitty person in a film, it's when it's done poorly and with a heavy hand that you lose right. any sense of empathy with with any anti-hero. But when you have a film, like in this case, because we're talking about this movie, where the more you watch uh, um, Oliver Reed in this, you have to keep going on and off. Right? I mean, the mm -hmm. way he abandons the young woman at the beginning, Felipe, you're like, oh man, this guy is like such a, a he's the worst yeah. part of this film. And then he marries this woman who, what, uh, she, her mom, I guess, is dying of the plague and he saves her from those hack doctors with the, yeah. uh, the holistic doctors. Are we allowed to say that? The uh, Oh oh no, yeah. Dave, come on. And, um, and then you're like, I don't know, should he be allowed to marry? He's offering some insight about the split between intent and action in religion. That was, by the way, just another scene I really liked of them going back and forth about like interpreting the Bible almost right. like, well, there's nothing that says you can't like, like it's, they're talking about like air bud or something like that. It's like, well, there's no law against it. You can't do it. Well, so, this is the weird thing too about religion and, and writing and religion and practice, right? Anyways, we, uh, that's again, those are iceberg problems. We won't get too mired in that. Uh, but by the end, he's trying to protect his town and he sees yeah. the political intrigue. Having got through that, if you get that far in the film, you can't help but look at him as almost a martyr. And he actually, at least depicted in this film, finally breaks through the madness of this mother, Jean, yeah. by essentially staring her right in the face and, and not blaming her, but praying for her salvation, which I think mm -hmm. is this fascinating underline uh, of maybe what I like about principled religious faith, which is not turning it into hate speech. And that is right. the martyrdom, which is that he stands there being burned to death and he is not screaming for everyone else to burn with him, but rather for them to uh, get over it, right? It's, it's crazy to watch. I mean, that is a Jesus parable right there, isn't it? I do think that everyone should burn. The, the, there is that moment. You, you, you called it out already, but like when he is being tortured my my legs still feel oh, weird god dude i know anytime i see that or them like oh. like stabbing his tongue i'm just like oh. god i can't go just, with it just for the listeners i mean i don't want to describe it too much but the there's a torture it has a name but they basically drive iron or wood or stakes like that. through yeah. your legs to break the bones 
And there's other stuff in here that are as oh, worse. Yeah, yeah, they go for it. Oh, but there's this God. give and take between his like torturer and him. Yes. Who goes like, just we humbly. Yeah. Well, like, so I'll go back and forth here. So it starts off with the torturer. We humbly beg of thee, almighty God, in thy goodness, bless these instruments thou hast created and given to us for our sacred use. And then it's like devils and pieces of wood now. If they are not driven out, your devil's might by their infernal arts prevent the torture being as excruciating as it should be. Then you would never confess and your soul would be damned for eternity. Are you ready to confess? I have been a man. I have loved women. I have enjoyed power. That's not what we want. You've been a magician. You've had commerce with devils. And if there's never been like more, this is such a great writing for me because mm -hmm. I love how they did like That's not what we want. It's like, well, that that's not your judgment again. Again, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ and in God in the church, it's like, you don't get to be the person who judges. Yeah. But anyways, well, and he's showing his hand a little bit in that scene, let's say. Well, that's, that's the other thing, you know, again, the iceberg problem uh, of religion is if you invoke the idea of a higher power, whatever that is, that judges you. Why is that manifested in a single human being? Why does Cardinal Richelieu then get to arbit what good and evil is? And that's what this movie does. It it paints that picture. Now, it uses pretty broad strokes. So, the Catholic Church representatives are all painted up as awful monsters. There's no humanity sure. in any of them. And so, you know, this movie's not perfect. Uh, but when you get no. too complex, this would then turn into like a seven-part you know, 20 hour epic fucking thing, treaties, and no one watch it, and it's too long. So, you know, its broad intent is to just poke at you, uh, figuratively and li literally, to uh, see where you land on this. This is one of my favorite things that movies do, though. It's like, it's using like a self contained moment. Like, there's another version of this movie that very much could have been that's like, well, let's do the entire history of Urban and mm -hmm. how we got mm -hmm. to this town. And like, none of that's important. <laughs> none of it's important. It's like, it's this town, it's this moment, it's this political intrigue. And we're going to throw a lot of stuff at you and a lot of hard stuff. I, I do think that the movie falls on one side of yeah. that of that coin, but it's still there for that conversation piece. It's not so didactic as of like someone turning to the camera and being like, Get it? Power yeah. structures, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. There's a few other things. I wrote down a bunch of stuff, obviously, when I was watching this. And so we can go through these. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I just looking at the times. Like, we could go like four hours with this thing if we're not careful. What Ken Russell has done, and again, I only watched Tommy and this one, but what I really love is the fact that it feels so theatrical. That is mm -hmm. something that I love in, in movies a lot of the time when they can emulate theater in the way that it makes me feel when I'm watching theater. It's not just like a static camera, but it's using those elements to be like, oh, yeah, I could imagine what this looks like on stage, too. So, But he's also using film language. I love that cut that happens where you're seeing Christ up on the cross bent over and it cuts the to the nun who's who has a hump and she's bent the other way. Yeah. And like, oh, that's a really interesting dialogue that's going there. And just visually, you know, you get it, right? Master filmmaking. Yeah. Master filmmaking. Like she is uh, comparing herself to Christ, even though she's not being very Christ-like at that moment. The set design in this thing. I mean, oh, holy yeah. shit. It even is... the lighting design. There's that moment where the new priest comes in, he's lit and it looks like he's a skull face on. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is great. <laughs> How about those Protestant blackbirds that the uh, king is shooting, <laughs> where they just dress up the people as blackbirds and so he gets to shoot and kill it's, people? I mean, that whole pantomime of royal life 
Uh, I, and maybe we should have started with this lighthearted uh, thing, but yeah, because it, it feels like a Monty Python skit at the very beginning. Clearly, like the, it opens up like a Monty Python skit. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Clearly, Holy Grail is uh, largely influenced by this film. I don't know where the dates fall, but it's essentially it, it's, it's possible because yeah, Grail came out five six years after yeah this. this i mean honestly from the bring out the dead the crucifixion the the church of horny nuns uh even like the set design of that's the, so true I, all, yeah, the you're whole right. thing I bet man there like, is. Yeah. even um at the beginning when they're doing the little show where the king is uh dancing but then you look at the set design of the animation of god it's the same clouds it's the same thing as wearing a crown i mean this is a hundred percent source material for the holy grail it's shocking actually the more i kind of poke at it so it's kind of funny Right. Well, that's the thing, though, that like, I would say that and not to jump too far ahead in our in our podcast, but like what I would argue is the greater cultural relevance of Monty Python versus what this movie is mm. probably. Mm. So that's how it's it, it kind of continues on. It, it's like uh, it's the echoes. parodies or it's the things that are in response to this movie that continue to be relevant. We were also talking about this sort of off topic, but when I was watching some of the wider angle set design and just the uh, epic uh, visuals i i started thinking about david lynch's dune and there's just sure. something um just as surreal and i i also feel like perhaps this is a little bit more of a stretch but i just feel like people like david lynch when they make these epics see films like it's not just this film but this that's the scope we're right. talking about as we are building to this visuals um the horror scenes too they do go way off kilter some of them are really stupid looking frankly because it's so campy but sure. you can see those tropes in so many films now uh, i don't know if it's the first one to do that like you talked about the exorcist and you know the the backhand uh, yeah you know yeah, i don't know enough if this is the first time we've yeah. seen that in a movie i don't it's know weird but, yeah so yeah. some of that stuff is very creepy i mean talking about like there are this feels like it's it's only awfulness for the entire runtime. There are some like legitimately funny moments in it that are meant to be funny. Like there's that, like they're poking through all the stuff that is you know, coming the, out of you know, her mouth, coming out. Yeah. And it's like, this is this, this is that. And it's like, Oh, that's a carrot. Yeah. And yeah. He picks yeah. it out. I don't remember the carrot who said this, but it was a line that really caught my attention where they say sin can be caught like the plague. Mm. I'm like, oh, isn't that interesting? It's like when you get whipped up into a frenzy. Yeah, I can see that. Like mob mentality, that sort of thing. Twitter. Is just like the play can be caught. Well, but in, and what a time to be talking about this again within the COVID context and, and that sort of thing. Well, I just think of Twitter. but And this is, I think, again, more iceberg conversation about the nature of sin, what it means to be a human being. And if you are put in the right situation or the wrong situation, how quickly we can descend into, I mean, uh, bring up the Jewish defense. If you look, read about the Holocaust and you read about the people who perpetrate it, you know, just before they get swept up in this sort of, yeah, in the anti-Semitism and the Nazism, these people were fucking bakers in a town, right? Right. They were like, there were people that were helping their neighbors shovel the snow off down the street. Yeah. yeah. And then they were just given this opportunity, whether willingly or unwillingly, and they performed acts acts of human depravity that the world, I mean, the world has seen worse, frankly, in history. But in that era, it was just un, you know, unconscionable. Like, you just can't understand how another person can treat another human being this way. Well, but, it's interesting. Like, my dad and I were having this conversation at the, after Canadian Thanksgiving here. And, and that's always his big thing. He fundamentally just does not understand 
human evil and depravity like that. We were talking about like he was reading up on this basic theory, but it's almost been proven true now about how the crack epidemic in the U.S. was like fostered by the U.S. government yes. to get black people addicted to it so they could put them into ghettos and stuff like that. And, and that whole thing, that whole idea, arrest them, get them off. And he's like, if that is actually proven to be true, not only do I think that that is like a, disgusting, <laughs> disgusting, but it's like should, they should be hung themselves whoever perpetrated that but also like i i do not get the hate you would have to have to perpetrate that over decades like who are these people who do that and the the fact is i had to respond is like they're normal people like that's i i I, again i don't know i mean i'm sure i have that same capacity inside of me to do that but it's that's the terrifying thing is that everyone is capable of it for whatever reason that humanity still perpetrates it now when we read about any or anecdotes stretching back to the earliest written annals of human history. I mean, the things that humans used to do even before this millennia, at least in writing, are even difficult to read. You know, uh, instruments of torture. When we we talk about waterboarding and all of the stuff, public executions, but when you read about this era in the 15th century, 14th, 16th <laughs> yeah, century, I mean, Jesus it's Christ. it's yeah. unbelievable. They, like it, you have to stop reading it sometimes because it's just so. So disgusting. I mean, but- yeah, going back to Monty Python, they made a whole sketch about uh, uh, no one suspects the uh, Spanish Inquisition, yeah. but like read on the Spanish Inquisition and oh, be yeah. like, holy fuck, <laughs> like w- what they were doing. We've lived, I think, in an era of uh, forced naivety where we believe we've transcended that, or we've gotten mm-hmm. better and we haven't. And when we pick away at things like, yeah, the crackhead going to Afghanistan and killing a bunch of people for, just to make heroin. You talk about like what's happening in Africa and what's happening in a lot of parts of Asia that aren't reported. You know, never mind child so- soldiers and human trafficking and all these kind of things. But if human beings aren't good by nature. We're not evil by nature. But I hate when you say that because I always not? want to rebuff. It's like, it's like well, there's good people in the world. No, well, there are good people. But what I, I guess what I am alluding to but is the, that- But the aggregate, the, the humanity is Or I, I just think like what we are truly is in the middle. And Would you say that we're a cancer of this world? Dave, <laughs> I think we can be. And I think that what the, like the idea of laws, political structures, religion, common you know philosophical themes is to push that middle line- into the good morality, uh, right. but the reality is, in my opinion, that we actually hover in the middle all the time, and that we are all, each of us, capable of doing really horrific things. You know, we need reminding that it, we need to turn to someone on your left in a church apps and shake their hand and remind ourselves <laughs> that strangers are hey, people Joe. too. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping humanity starts being even worse. So unlike in Let's Scare Jessica to Death, there is explicit lesbians mm-hmm. in this movie, mm-hmm. which is fun. Your wife would not understand this reference, but it is, again, I think, very stark or very um, obvious that uh, Sister Jean hangs herself just like Judas. Mm-hmm. She tries to get out of it the easy way, Dave, but they cut her down. They're screaming Judas, too, at the execution. That's right. I don't think it's a mistake, and I have to preface this. Like, I understand that this is actually what they wore at the time. But I also don't think it's a huge mistake that the uh, judges are shown to look like the KKK, yeah, like yeah. the same hoods and stuff like that. Like, yeah. it's very pointed, like, <laughs> uh, criticism, I think, on that. Doesn't that come also... And their perversion of, of church doctrine. Yeah. Is the cross inverted on their hoods? No, Maybe. it's the red cross between the eyes. Yeah. But... And then lastly, the thing that uh, a line from this movie 
that has shot up to be one of my favorites of all time. Like I put it on like my top 10 favorite movie quotes, which is him being led to his like burning. And it's like, do you love the church? Not today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> I don't think I'd be too uh, high up on them either at this point. <laughs> no, it's chilling. It's a chilling, chilling experience. And if anyone were open to it, you could sit down and talk for, you could write books. I'm sure some people have tried. Uh, about the content of this film we haven't really even touched the filmmaking but like the sound everything's great yeah the filmmaking is i I think what really pulled me in at the beginning and really makes me want to watch more ken russell films yeah even the really beautiful the exit of uh i was surprised they let the the wife survive although you could tell she'd been tortured too and as they pan out she just walks across the broken wall into the the path of uh crucified people and they desaturate everything i mean that stuff is yeah uh, it's epic man it's an it epic also is one of my favorite things too because that's when the credits start as she's walking away and i just love that because it was probably just to the actor it's like just keep walking yeah. for like five minutes and then we'll eventually call you back i guess well, maybe <laughs> so not even going. maybe they had a catering maybe, truck she's still walking today actually that's the other thing too i think i'm like a thousand percent sure this did not happen this way in real life but it's like as soon as he's burning a stake, it's like, boom, like the walls come down. It's like a huge explosions. Uh, yeah. Like they don't even wait. It's just like, yeah, they're distracted. Uh, take it down. No, no. It is drama. But honestly, yeah. who knows? I mean, they, likely the fortifications weren't that tall, right? I mean, they, sure. they really overdo oh. it with the white walls and the... But that's another thing that they actually talk about, that they intentionally made everything so stark Extreme. white. Yeah, uh, yeah. Extremely white, because they wanted things to like really stand out from from the background and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So another one of those theatrical things, which this is my big thing, Dave. I know people get so mad at me. I'm kind of done with realism in films. I feel like we've had this like 20 year period now where like everything has to be like gritty dour and super realistic dirty, and yeah. gritty. I'm like, fuck it. Like just make it so bonkers. This is why I like early <laughs> Tim Burton stuff. Yeah, it's weird and stupid, but at least it's, it's something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a unique take on the world. It doesn't have to be like, no, one-to-one. Everything is the exact way it has to be. End of rant, but anyways. Well, we get some visual allegory too, white walls and purity and the cynicism mm-hmm. that it's all torn down and what you're left with is like a Disruined. desert Like her just death. standing yeah. in like the rubble and like the bones Crazy. being sifted out and yeah. everything. It's like, that is an image. Right. I'm also curious if the because in the version we saw like the one of the visions that sister jean has is her like licking, making out with the priest as he is jesus and she's sucking wounds. on his wounds yeah. and stuff like that yeah. it goes black and white in that moment as well which sometimes does it so that you don't get it like oh, a, i think it was a kill bill thing where they yeah <laughs> where you have to put it into black and white so that it doesn't it's get so I, I don't know i don't know if that's true yeah it's that's that's a tough one but those visions were nuts. They're actually really well shot. That, oh, that's yeah, horror that's movie great. stuff, right? Like that is, you yeah. know, we, the, yeah, like you're talking about. I mean, the movie is paranormal because it's talking about possession. But that those are little things where you're like, oh my god, like this is very creepy. <laughs> and why am I so horny while watching this, Dave? Well, um, I think that's the other thing. Why I I briefly saw like uh, your favorite Ebert gave this yeah. a zero star rating. Yeah, one of his very few uh, his rare zero star reviews. I wonder if that's part of it too. You know, with this. Uh, embedded christian uh, morality we have in north america you know you watch this film and i would challenge people it is both disgusting and pornographic and arousing there there's something about it where at the same time you want to throw up and turn it off it it like it's it's titillating it's the strangest no it's the strangest movie 
And I think that must have made so many people upset in 97. It still will. Because again, oh, I don't think I, you, you have to face we yourself. We talk often about this, yeah. about like, how would you remake this movie? This movie script cannot get made no, today. No, no. Like, not in the way it's made here. No. Let's put it that way. There's not a chance this would be released. No. Which is why so, it's disappeared from every yeah. service, uh, except except ours. Yeah, exactly. Our, our you know, right. machine plus that we <laughs> subscribe to. Um, <laughs> We're done here. Well, the machine has sold, so we have to wrap this up. So, talking about Critics' Choice, Roger Ebert did give this his rare zero stars. So, you have if you read his review, you have to understand that he has been so sarcastic throughout it because if you just read it you might think he's being truthful so i'm going to read this in a sarcastic tone so you can kind of get the feeling so just you're going to read it how you read everything i don't know about anyone else but frankly i left the cinema theater feeling like a new a different and yes a better person the poisons of our political system had been drained from me i entered the theater as an unwitting participant in the atrocities of our time but believe me that's all behind me now it took courage for me to go and see the devils just like it took courage for ken russell to make it so that was him writing about that. He really hated this movie. Yeah, I, th- I think basically breaking it down, he just thinks it again, he's trying to be provocative and thinking that this is changing the world when uh, Ebert thinks it's hollow. Uh, yeah, and it, there's no right answer. <laughs> Pauline Kale also hated this movie. And she wrote, I couldn't find her full review, but there's only like this one sentence that kept coming up in a bunch of different articles. So who knows if she even said it? Yeah, one of those things where it just gets credited to someone and then yeah, it yeah. goes... She says, Ken Russell doesn't report hysteria, he markets it. Uh, uh, To the quote of, uh, uh, in response to Pauline Kael's quote, it is interesting, like we just, like you brought up, this movie cannot be made as a feature film. And so if you get a green light to make a feature film and you build it around a pornographic depiction of uh, demonic hysteria, I could see how Pauline Kael would phrase it that way. Because, I mean, they didn't have the marketing that they had they have today but if right. maybe in 20 years when we're so starved from any kind of uh, extreme filmmaking and you could make this movie again you know the commercial is entirely going to be that orgy scene oh 100 right. oh, well here's the thing when i say this couldn't be made i think like one scene in isolation it, you could it's just the combination of everything like how far lot. it goes you just couldn't you just could not do it in the exact same way that this movie is put together i guess my charred bone to pick with uh Ebert is, uh, he does, to me, often come off as not naive, but uh, idealistic person, right? I mean, it's why his scores go up. For him to kind of leave this film, and and not in so much a finger-pointing way, but to have the assumption that this movie's trying to solve anything bothers me a little bit. Because this is not a movie I watched where I thought that Ken Russell knew how to have a better life. (laughs) Yeah, this is the thing, too. Like, perhaps Ken Russell, from his previous films, or... Yeah, talk show appearances or something like that like there might be context that we're missing on this that yeah. just some pretense. isn't affecting me now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this does bring us then to our favorite two questions which is does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant what do you say to that dave yes to both to both of them yeah it's definitely powerful i have to say yes too to as far as it holds up cultural relevance is the, is the hard one it's like it's, i'm a little bit medium on it definitely this is part of still in the top 250 films of all time on Letterboxd. So it's definitely getting this kind of cultural reappraisal. I think if HBO Max did make it available, more people would watch this and be like, what is happening? <laughs> and I think what we touched on is like, is the is the people who saw this and then brought it into their own art, whether it's Monty Python or other people who have used different elements of it. So I think there's that relevance there too. There's apparently an anime that borrows heavily from, from this you know too that called? came out in like, 
Um, yes, one second. Belladonna of Sadness oh. is what it's called. But it came out in the 70s, I think. Yeah, it's a 1973 hmm. Japanese animated film uh, directed by Ichi Yamamoto. Interesting. But um, basically is kind of a remix of this story a little bit. So there's that direct uh, comparison. And then, of course, um, Dave, I'm so happy to tell you this for the very first time. This movie did make an appearance. The nuns do make an appearance in a film that was released this year <laughs> in 2021. <laughs> I'm sure you know what movie I'm talking about, right, Dave? No, I don't. What movie? What? What movie would reference this controversial film or well, others? Yeah, of course, Dave, it would have to be the. <laughs> the, Cultural the extremely appropriate yeah. film to have the nuns from the devils in it space jam 2 a new legacy oh my god you said the clockwork <laughs> orange guys are in there too right yeah yeah because warner brothers is so devoid oh, of anything that's culturally man. relevant from the last 20 years besides the matrix that they had to really pull deep if you don't know the the backstory of space jam 2 which is an awful movie and you shouldn't watch it that there is this basketball game that happens near the end and it's they're in the the Warner Brothers server, so oh all like the God. things from Warner Brothers. So you see like the Flintstones in the background, and the Iron Giant is there, and 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 yes, characters from the Matrix are showing up in Batman and the Joker. They had to fill out the crowd somehow, Dave. So yes, the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange are sitting there, and the Nuns from the Devils. I cannot get over the fact Fuck that they up. put this into what is basically supposed to be a kids movie. Yeah, of course they're not going to know. No. I know that they're not going to know who these things are, but it's just like. So, but it's planted in your subliminal. Like, if you don't, if you're if you're ten years old and you've never heard of Clockwork Orange, but you see just the passing glimpse of that fucking costume, and then one mm. day this film sort of trailer or a, or a still comes out, and you're like, oh, I I, I know these I guys I know from somewhere, yeah. And then you watch that movie. They're, they're big basketball fans. It's they're big up. basketball fans. Yeah. Dave. Yeah. I mean, you know what? You can do whatever you want. I just still won't watch your movie. LeBron James. I think they were missed an opportunity here to literally play basketball against the nuns. They have a basketball team. They have the numbers. <laughs> They're like crawling on their heads. <laughs> Filleting the ball. Yeah, it'll be great. Wow. Uh, all right. <laughs> Dave, uh, please write in. I really want I really want to know people's uh, opinions on this. But that is what Dave and I thought. Would you think you can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com? You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. And if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterboxed page, letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse, you can go to our Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar a month. Something you can do for absolutely free, of course, is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. Um, also, check us out on YouTube. I keep forgetting to say that, but uh, keep, check us out on YouTube. Dave, I am so curious. I don't know how to rate this movie, so mm. I'm giving it to you first. What are you giving this out of five? I... I think I'm going to give it a four. And I think mm. the the problems, I just, I think this movie is crazy. And uh, <laughs> I am both scared that I watched it. I still, like every time I'm thinking about this and I think of the torture scene, my legs actually get tingly. And, you know, when I'm like talking to you about it, I'm like starting to sweat. I mean, it's hot in the room, but I start sweating when I think about some of the brutal depictions of violence and uh, all that stuff. But we did just spend nearly two hours talking about the yeah. problem of ethics, morality, politics. I don't know. It's amazing. And none of it 
I, you know, I'm sorry. On top of all of that, this thing is beautifully shot. Yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's a gorgeous movie. So I, I went pretty high on this thing. It's incredible. Oh, and the acting. Fucking Oliver Reed is incredible. Like I said, like he's like, Magnetic. I, cannot, I can't stop watching him when yeah. he's on screen. Yeah. This isn't a perfect film for me either, but I, I, like, I really liked it. I was not... I wasn't really sure what to expect in this movie, yes. really. I think I was taken over by the philosophical concepts that are being brought up, the look of the movie, it's gorgeous, the acting is so great. Um, these are all things, again, I think this put it above that Clockwork Orange. Like, of the two movies in 1971 that are provocative and are violent and are, like, pushing uh, the centers and stuff like that, I feel like this is the one that should be better remembered. Yes. But that's just, that's just me. I am giving it... Not a perfect score, but I'm giving it a 4.5 is what I've settled on. Which does mean that it's going to average to 4.25. We'll round round down to 4. But that is going to go squarely on the list. Doesn't tie with anything else. It is going to enter our list at the number 3 position. So just to to call this out, here's our top 5 currently. (laughs) Duck You Sucker. Duel. The Devils. A lot of Ds here. Filler on the Roof, and then Harold and Maude. Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting top five. <laughs> Good movies. We are still doing our cultural, our uh, year reappraisal for any listeners. So we'll see how this all shakes up in the end. But That's right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if The Devil stays up in the top five. This movie's incredible. It's a great date movie. So here's the wild thing we have to do. Because Dave, this is on the Letterboxd Top 250, which will go on to our other list that we have going on on Letterboxd, where we are, whenever we come across one of those films. So Dave, this movie ties with The Godfather Part 2. Do you think this is better or worse than The Godfather Part 2? Oh, I don't know. What about in the fractions? Are they the exact same fraction? That's what, it, that's what I mean. It's, like it's the same fraction. Yeah. I can't choose, Kyle. They're so fundamentally different. I, it's so funny. This is what I guess the only thing I could do is I think I have to default to like relevance and Godfather Part 2 has, I would say, more relevance than what this movie does. But you brought up an interesting point, which is that this movie, let's say compared to Clockwork, should be remembered more than the other film. And I don't sure. know if it's because Ken Russell's career kind of fell flat in the coming years and Kubrick made like four other mm-hmm. you know, culturally powerful films, but... I'm just not sure. And you know me, I mean, I, I'm a staunch first Godfather over Godfather 2 guy. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I'm a little stuck, but I'm okay with that. I mean, we could put it underneath. In the end though, we will remember this movie more uh, oh, than the Godfather yeah. 2. So that would be my pitch to put it on top because I will never forget anything that has happened <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> as long as I live, I will never forget the devils. Oh my God. All right. Well, we'll put that underneath the Godfather for right now. Go check out that list over on our letterbox. I'm excited to find out what we get to watch next week, Dave. We've been watching a lot of like spooky, scary, challenging uh, films here recently. So I'm just going to push this button here. Oh, okay. Well, oh boy, Dave. Okay. I mean, I don't think it's going to be pretty particularly challenging, but the, 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 the filmmaker is going to be something that we're going to have to contend with. We're going to be watching next week. Woody Allen in Bananas. It's good, it's good pivot. So it's a good Strong pivot from pivot, the devils yeah. to the <laughs> devil himself making a movie. Bananas. Wow. Tell me how you really feel, Kyle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to look at it. So should I just like, uh, like cough or what? What? How does this work? Uh, Isn't that how you check your prostate? I don't remember. No, I mean, we're going to have to take that. Uh, why do we have a crucifix on the ship? I just thought it brightened up the room. Mm-hmm.
Luckily, I always do the wrong thing.